We have heard multiple times this morning, we've been reminded that God has gathered us here to worship. He has called us. He has invited us. And we respond. We lean in and we listen. And we respond to God's revelation. And so I would encourage us as we enter into this text, which can be so, so familiar to us, that we would lean in and we would engage and we would listen and that we would respond. And so I'm going to ask you to help me here right off at the very beginning. I'm going to ask you to think about over the years or even specifically over uh, this journey that we've been taking through Lent, looking at the devout life, we've been walking with Jesus We've been watching and listening to what he does, what he says. And I would ask you to think about how is it that he is forming you? What legacy is he leaving you? How are you living differently because of your encounters with Jesus? Take a second to think about that and share it with somebody close by. Just share a story of how you're a different person, how you live differently, how you engage the world differently because the legacy that Jesus has left you. Go ahead and do that right now. You have no idea how encouraging it is that it was not completely silent in here. <laughs> We're watching Jesus on the journey as we walk toward Jerusalem. We're listening, and hopefully we're responding. And this is one of those passages where Jesus makes it crystal clear that we are called to respond. The end of the passage that we heard this morning, Jesus says to his disciples, I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. It doesn't get any clearer than that. I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. And so we're going to lean into this passage and we're going to listen to what it is that Jesus is asking us to do because I'm afraid the familiarity of this passage may have, may have caused us to miss it. It may have caused us to water it down, to sterilize it so that it's not as radical as it might have been. Because the idea of servant leadership has become a common topic. You walk through any bookstore, if you go through the leadership section, you're going to see multiple books that have servant leadership on the cover. And if that book has any Christian bent to it at all, chances are good this passage from John chapter 13 is going to be referenced at least in that book. And so I wonder if we've taken this passage and we've made it, we've, we've formed it so that it means don't be too authoritarian in your leadership. Be kind to those people who work for you. Be nice and gentle. Don't lord it over them. Don't be a jerk. 
And I wonder if that's led us to miss the richness and the depth of what Jesus was trying to communicate to his disciples, the legacy he was trying to leave. So join me as we lean in. Action kind of starts when the writer tells us that Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything. Jesus walks into this room recognizing, knowing and recognizing that he is the most powerful person there. That everyone else is his subordinate. And the fact of the matter is, Jesus also knew, he also recognized that he had been given the power from God to be more, have more authority than the religious leaders, than Pilate, than Herod, than even Caesar himself, the ruler of the known world. Jesus had been given this power from the Father. And he recognized that as he walked into the room. And I think it's important that we don't gloss over that. Because I think it's important that we too need to recognize that often we have power and privilege that is given to us from the Father. That we have been given a gift. And oftentimes we want to deny or dismiss our power and our privilege because if we don't deny it and dismiss it, then we have to take responsibility for stewarding it well. And in this passage, we see that Jesus calls us to recognize any power or privilege that we may have and to steward it. And as I wrestled with this passage, I thought, what power or privilege do I have? And I was reminded that when I sensed the Spirit calling me to ministry, when I sensed the nudge to pursue vocational ministry, I didn't have to wonder if that was okay. I didn't have to ask the question, can I do that? Because all the pastors that I knew looked like me. I had that example in front of me set all the time. And so it was a privilege for me to be able to respond to that call without having to wrestle with the question if that was okay. Over the years, my family has always had enough to eat. We've always had good health care. And so very rarely have I had to worry if there was a change of political power or if there was a change in policy that it might impact the safety and provision of my family. And that's a privilege given to me. And I acknowledge it. I admit it. I can send my kids to the park and they can play. And they can go out in the woods with airsoft guns and chase each other around. And I don't have to worry that something tragic is going to happen because of a misunderstanding on someone else's part about who they are or what they're up to. And that's a privilege for me. 
And I acknowledge that it is a gift given and that I need to steward that well. And so as we engage this passage, we start there with the fact that Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority. But this was a gift. And as a result of that power, that privilege, he got up from the table and he took off his robe. Some translations say he laid his robe down and he wrapped a towel around his waist and poured water into a basin. And he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around them. It was because of the power and the privilege that he had that he stood up and he began to wash the disciples' feet. And as he washed their feet, he looked at them and he said, do you understand what I'm doing for you? And on some level they did. This was an act of service beyond anything they could comprehend. This was a, this was a job for the lowliest of lows. The servants in the house who weren't slaves wouldn't even do this. This was for the servants in the house who were slaves. It would have been ridiculous in that time for Jesus to even look at his disciples and said, would you wash my feet? That would have been outside the realm of anything normal. And yet the teacher, the master, is the one who bowed and began to wash their feet. And so they had that in mind. But when he looks at them and he says, do you understand what I'm doing for you? We have to keep in mind that the story is set up by saying, we're on our way to the Passover. The Passover is right around the corner. The day when the lamb will be slain to take away the sins of the people. When Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, do you know what I'm doing for you? He says, the lamb that takes away the sins of the world is walking on his own to Jerusalem. Walking by his own choice to the cross. So that the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world can be slain. Do you understand what I am doing for you? I've set an example. And so Jesus here is not just calling us to simple acts of service. He's calling us to acknowledge the power and privilege that we've been given in order to take steps and do the things that only we can do for the sake of others, even if it's costly, difficult, dangerous. This is what the people of God do. This is who we are. And as he goes around the room and he begins to wash the disciples' feet, he gets to Peter. I love Peter. He speaks for me. Often when I engage the story of Jesus, 
Peter is the one who jumps up and asks the question I want to ask. Peter is the one who protests the way I want to protest. And we need to take a minute and sit in Peter's chair for just one second. Because oftentimes I'll read this story and I'll write Peter, oh, Peter, you're being so silly. Why do you always have to protest? Peter being Peter. But let's sit in Peter's seat for a second. I think Peter responds the way he does for maybe a couple of different reasons. One, it is hard to receive acts of service from others. Because from the time we are born, we want to do it ourselves. Right? If you have ever been a parent or been around a young child who's learning to do something, I'll do it myself, do it myself, do it myself. Right? I want to get out the door, but that child wants to tie his own shoe for the next hour and a half. I'll do it myself. And as we get older, there are things that we try to learn to do. We start a new job and we say, I'll do it myself, I'll do it myself, I'll do it myself. You don't need to show me how, I'll do it. I'll figure it out. Someone tries to help us when we need help and we say, I'll do it myself. We get older and our kids try to take our keys. And we say, I'll do it myself. It's in us to not need or want the help of someone else. And it is in us not to want to accept the grace that God gives us. Peter looks at Jesus and he says, you will not wash my feet. And there may have been a part of him that says, I'll just do it myself. I can balance the scales on my own. I can do enough good to outweigh the bad. I'll do it myself. And if I can live that way, then I can look at everybody else and I can say, well, that person shouldn't need any help. I did it myself. Why can't they? I'll do it myself. I wonder if that's what goes through Peter's mind when Jesus kneels in front of him. He says, do you know what I've done for you? Or, it might just be that Peter looks at Jesus and he says, this is my teacher, my master, my Lord. I have committed to following him. And now, he's kneeling in front of me doing this despicable act, this act of service that I do not, frankly, want to do. And if I'm committed to following him, then I'm going to have to do it too. So Peter looks at Jesus and says, you will not wash my feet. Because if you wash my feet, then I have to follow you there and wash someone else's. That's so often where I find myself. I read the scripture and I see the works of Jesus. And I say, Jesus, I'll follow you anywhere. I'm not sure if I'll go there.
Lord, you will not wash my feet. Peter speaks for us. Friends, this is a hard word that Jesus gives us. This is a hard lesson. This is one of those times we look at Jesus and we say, is that really what this means? That he wants us to take everything that he has given us. That he has given us. And to steward it for the sake of others no matter the cost. That's a hard word. And I wrestled with that this week. And I wanted to give the sermon back to Steve. Say, you do this. But about midweek, I was walking through the hallway out here, and I run into someone from the congregation, and they pulled me aside, and they looked me in the eye, and they said, hey, I saw the summary of the sermon for this week. I saw that you were preaching it. And he said, I just want you to know that we're praying for you. Because that's going to be a hard word. And later that afternoon, as I was looking at the passage again, the very first phrase that I had highlighted when I started looking at the passage came back up. And it struck me that it all hinged on this phrase. In verse 1 it says, He, Jesus, had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. I am constantly struck with the heart that Jesus has for all people. I am constantly overwhelmed. That in Luke 19 and Matthew 23, as Jesus is going back and forth, the religious leaders, and they're accusing him of terrible blasphemy, and he is casting woes upon them. That in that same passage, you get a picture of Jesus approaching Jerusalem, weeping for his people, saying, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I wish that I could take you under my wing as a hen does her chicks. How I pray for peace for you, but you won't recognize God among you. His heart for the people, even the people who he's constantly in conflict, conflict with, continues to overwhelm me. And then it struck me that as Jesus was in that room washing the disciples' feet, he washes Peter's feet and he knows Peter's about to deny him. And he washes the other disciples' feet knowing that they're going to run when, when they come to arrest him. And as he goes around the room, I had to check because I couldn't believe it. Eventually, as he went around that room washing their feet, he ended up kneeling in front of Judas Washing the feet of the one who was about to betray him. And he knew it. 
He knew Judas was there and that his heart was set to turn Jesus over. He knew that the one who was going to bring his captors was in front of him. And he washed his feet and he says, do you understand what I am doing for you? He loved his disciples throughout his ministry and he loved them to the very end. And I was struck that some of us deny the power and the privilege that God has given us. And the only cure for that is going to be the love of Christ dwelling in us. The only cure for that is going to be to see people as Christ sees people. To love them as he has loved them. It struck me that so often we try to serve others but we do it without the love of Christ. And that too is not the way of Jesus. And I was reminded of Paul's words in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal if I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and process and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. And so, friends... This morning, Jesus has set us an example. Do unto others, do to others what I have done to you. See them with the love that I have for all people. Give of your power and your privilege to lift others up. Give them your seat at the table. Use what you have. Steward it for the sake of the world at all costs.